Hey, Nani Nani and Ribbity Pibbity A, it's the Ricardo Project, and today we're talking about Lucy Hires, an English tutor. Hello, my beautiful Tropicanas. Welcome back to the Ricardo Project, the podcast where we watch through I Love Lucy episode by episode and talk about its historical, emotional, and comedic impact. My name is Dana, and I'm so glad you've joined me today for Season 2, Episode 13, Lucy Hires an English Tutor, which premiered 70 and a half years ago today on December 29th, 1952. So here's what happens in Lucy Hires an English Tutor. We open and it is domesticity time. Lucy is knitting or darning a sock or doing something, but whatever it is, Ricky comes in and he's got a bunch of stuff and Lucy's like, well, it's about time you showed up. Apparently he's been gone a while and whatever he's been doing has been really important to Lucy and Ricky is aghast at Lucy's attitude because apparently he had to go all over Manhattan looking for a papaya juice milkshake. So the pregnancy cravings have begun. (laughs) Lucy slurps it up and she is thrilled by this. And then she confirms that he also got the dill pickle. He did. And he pulls out this like gorgeously gigantic, like carnival sized dill pickle, which Lucy very delightedly dunks into the milkshake. My pregnancy cravings were not this level of intense. I actually, I I had this like weird flashback where like um, when I was pregnant, I kept expecting to have these crazy, crazy flashbacks. I think in a future episode, she dunks sardines on top of a hot fudge sundae. And that to me was like the iconic way that you are pregnant. (laughs) You think that all this crazy stuff goes together. I, I never had anything quite like that. But I did angrily stomp out to the store in an ice storm uh, to return with a a pint of chocolate ice cream, a bag of Cheetos, and six mangoes. Um, Mangoes that were very out of season, given said ice storm. Um, That was really my big craving, was like whatever fruit was out of season. It was a very expensive pregnancy. So then they get on the subject of the baby. Lucy asks Ricky if um, if he wants it, the baby to be a boy or a girl. And then she immediately jumps, that, uh, jumps to Ricky being disappointed if it isn't a boy because every boy wants a boy. Ricky says that Lucy probably wants a girl. Um, but they both proclaim that they don't care if it's a boy or a girl. That's that. Until Lucy sees a little package and she opens it to reveal a teeny tiny little football and teeny tiny boxing gloves, and a teeny tiny Havana U class of 1974 shirt. All adorable, all decidedly gendered. Lucy immediately gets on her high horse and teases Ricky for wanting a boy, but what do you know? Lucy's knitting topples over, and it reveals an adorable little dress that she's been hiding, so they laugh off at that they are big old stereotypes, and they move along. Or back, really, because it just hit Lucy that Ricky wants the baby to go to college in Cuba. And Ricky's really passionate about the baby going to his alma mater. He even sings the school fight song in Spanish. It's very cute. It's like, I love whenever Ricky is just, like, dreaming of, like, like enthusiastically, like, thinking of the future. I just, I, I, it's so sweet and also a little bit delusional. 
So Lucy doesn't want the kid to go to school in another country, which I think is incredibly fair. But again, they move on because now Lucy's been hit with anxiety about being able to be a good enough parent when the kiddo has questions. And so they start practicing, like, where does rain come from, mommy? And Lucy decides that she's got to study so that the baby will think she's super, super smart. And later, maybe the next night, Ricky comes home from his show to Lucy just surrounded by stacks of book in the bed. And she's reading a book called Correct Use of the English Language, which sounds like a banger. Ricky's trying to have like a normal conversation and Lucy's using all of her triple letter word scores. Ricky's tired. Instead of saying what's wrong, she says, to what do you attribute your plethora of fatigue? Ricky doesn't even comprehend what she's saying. And so Lucy starts demonstrating some exercises from her book, which is just really mostly just over-enunciating at every turn. And this is perfectly set off by Ricky's thick accent and basic sentence structure. It's very, very funny. It's a great use of dichotomy. Lucy says that he speaks with an accent that isn't proper English. It's hard to understand. And she tells him that she's never really complained about it because she's learned to listen with an accent. She says that when he proposed, she wasn't sure if he'd asked to get married or go to a movie, which is a great throwaway line. And then Ricky says, oh, I could have gotten out of this by just taking you to a movie. Another very funny line. What I like about this is that it's not like the joke is also that Lucy's being a snob. It's not just that Ricky's English isn't very good. I think that's it's it's really nice. It doesn't feel like just like beaten up on Ricky. It feels like a really good back and forth. Um, so Lucy gives Ricky this children's book to demonstrate his difficulty with pronunciation. Uh, and Ricky gets caught in how crappy the English language is to learn because he learns all the ways that you can pronounce words that end with O-U-G-H. He's got bow, rough, through and cough. And this is really genius. It, it goes back to what I was just talking about because it turns the joke that could easily be at Ricky's expense into a joke about how English is ridiculous. This is a great example of evening the playing field, punching up versus punching down. The easy joke would be that Ricky's just not good at things. Like, honestly, that 70s show did that a lot. Um, a lot of the jokes are about how Fez was foreign, right? Fez was from another country. And that's a real simplification of the show. I think that 70s show has a lot of value in it, but I do think that this is one area where they kind of took a low swing. Whereas I Love Lucy, you know, they did a really good job of not just making fun of Desi Arnaz. They did a really good job of, of making it about two people with valid viewpoints, I suppose. So... I I think that this is just a really nice example of how this show is just superior to other shows, is I guess what I'm saying. Anyway, Lucy says that they're going to hire an English tutor for the two of them and the merchants so that they can all speak perfect English. And we cut to commercial with this great throwaway line from Ricky where they're fighting and he and it kind of ends in, in mid-fight with him yelling, I had enough trouble learning to speak American. We come back from commercial. Lucy's setting up the apartment like it's a classroom for their lesson and she lets it slip to Ethel that the lessons are free but we don't really find out why because Ricky interrupts. Ricky's mad because Fred isn't there. He doesn't want to take class without Fred. It's a little childish but that's okay. Ethel says that he's just changing his clothes for class because he was in like dirty overalls because he's a landlord who was also like basically the super of this apartment building. So the bell rings. We think it's going to be the tutor, but it's actually Fred, and he's dressed in this hilarious schoolboy outfit with a giant lollipop. He skips around the apartment singing about going back to school. It's a very funny side gag. 
And just then, Mr. Livermore, the tutor, arrives, like in the middle of this giant bit that Fred's doing. And he immediately criticizes all of their enunciations on words, and he drags Fred for filth because of the outfit. He is thrilled to meet Ricky, who goes into this little monologue that sends Mr. Livermore spinning because there's just so much work to do. And he refers to the group as being in a state of emergency. They begin practicing pronunciation with vowels. And we get this great moment with Ricky where he's just such a snarky little student. We also get a fun Abbott and Costello bit during this lesson where uh, Mr. Livermore says that they may not use two words. One is swell and the other is lousy. And Fred is like, well, just give us the lousy one first. And the ladies are like, well, just tell us what they are and we won't use them. And Mr. Livermore is immediately fatigued and he asks for some water. And while the ladies go to get a pitcher and glasses, Mr. Livermore approaches Ricky to discuss the song he'll be singing. Because it turns out that Lucy traded lessons for him performing at the nightclub. And he's, he's going to sing a little ditty called I Tippy Tippy Toe Through My Garden. And uh, needless to say, Ricky is displeased. Lucy reveals that they'll be joining the act and insists that they give it a try before saying no, which they do, because I guess when you're pregnant, you get away with complete lunacy. Uh, it's something. The, the Fab Four play the flowers in the garden and they sing a nonsense song. It is wildly funny to hear grown adults singing so childishly. I have linked the scene in the show notes because you just got to see it to believe it. In our next scene, Ricky and Mr. Livermore at the apartment sometime has passed. The Mertzes come in all shocked that Ricky is going to go through with this show. Ethel goes to get Lucy, and while she's gone, Ricky tells Fred that he's made a plan and a deal with Mr. Livermore, that he'll get him auditions with every record company in town, and Mr. Livermore will go along with what Ricky has planned. And boy, howdy. He does. Lucy comes out, and Ricky and Mr. Livermore put on this little bit where Mr. Livermore starts talking just like Lu- just like Ricky. He gives his best go at Baba Lou. He's wildly gesticulating with an imaginary conga drum. Lucy says that it won't work, that it's a battle of the accents, and Mr. Livermore lost. Ricky wins for once. And the episode ends. I love this episode. I think it's super, super fun. And, and, and what I love about it, and really all of the pregnancy episodes, is, is the great balance they strike between sitcom structure and real life. Because this episode is so accurate to the state of mind you have while you're prepping for your kid. Or at least your first kid. I've never had a second kid. But the anxiety of all the ways that you can mess them up, and it, it never stops. So... Our baby is a year old, but he's small for his age, and he's headstrong, so he can talk, but he'd rather babble, and he can walk, but why would he develop that skill? Because he can crawl so fast, and it feels like because of these things that he's behind, and we're worried all the time, and we have no idea if he's okay ever until we take him to the pediatrician, and they're like, he's fine. (laughs) You know, we only have the books that we've read in the meantime, and every time he's even a day late on a milestone that the book has said he needs to hit, we we worry that something's wrong. And at the same time, he's like so socially advanced. He loves people. He He recognizes his favorite books. If I ask him to get a specific one, he can. And if I say, I love you, he'll give me this like giant hug. 
at daycare, they literally call our son Mr. President because he loves everyone so much. He's everyone's buddy. And I I say all this to say that parenthood is like 50% bliss you've never felt before and 50% being so anxious that you think your head's going to explode. And this episode worked for me because it really took that to the extreme, especially the anxiety part, which I think a lot of people don't really hit super well. It always ends in like a breakdown in sitcoms where people realize they're not ready because they don't have a crib is kind of the trope that this has evolved into. But I like this because it's like you just want to be good enough for your kid. You know, you just want to be a parent that they deserve and set them up for success in the ways you had and in the ways you didn't have and do the best job you can possibly do. This episode really worked for me. It honestly weirdly kind of relaxed me. Like it made me remember all the little and big ways that I have overprojected and worried about something that never mattered, something that was really inconsequential. It made me think about all the ways I'm currently stressing about my kid, and it made me drop my shoulders a little bit. It reminded me that how much power there is in seeing yourself reflected on screen. It validated those fears. It made me feel not alone in those fears, but it also brought me back to earth a little bit. I think that's what I Love Lucy does best. It's side-splittingly funny, but it also feels like a hug. It feels like a moment where they're saying, I see you. You're not alone. We're here too. While also heightening that experience so much that you just can't help but laugh. It's brilliant. And I think the pregnancy episodes don't really have a lot of big standout, like gigantic moments. But in small, small, repetitive ways, these are so unbelievably impactful. I loved it. Okay, so let's move on to some historical notes. So as we talked about, Ricky's alma mater is Havana U, which is interesting. I wonder what he majored in. I would assume music or something, but maybe business. I don't know. There was actually a place in New York that sold papaya juice milkshakes. It was at 91st Street and Columbus Avenue. And if you're not familiar with New York, Columbus Avenue is on the west side of the of Manhattan. And Ricky and Lucy lived on East 68th Street. And based on their address, they'd be actually in the river. So we can assume that they lived on like the basically riverfront on the east, east, east side. So Ricky, let's pretend he took a cab. This is a 20-minute cab ride if there's limited traffic because you have to go through Central Park to get where he has to go. (laughs) It would actually almost be better if Ricky – this sounds crazy, but it would actually almost be better if you're imagining Manhattan as like a really long, like, I don't know, a hot dog bun. You know, that's kind of the shape of it. It sounds like going from the top of the bun to the bottom of the bun would be the longest drive, but because of the way Manhattan is structured, it would actually almost be faster for him to go downtown than it would be for him to go across town. This was a real labor of love is what I'm saying. Ricky Ricardo wins the husband contest. Next, the actor who played Mr. Livermore uh, also played Dan Jenkins, who was the secondhand furniture man in Redecorating. It's nice to see him again. I really like him. And his performance is completely different. What a range. 
uh, Ricky tells Mr. Livermore that Lucy's going to have a baby in February, and uh, Ricky actually is born on January 19th. He's a Capricorn, uh, not February. So I'm going to assume that that means the baby came early. How lovely. That's all I've got for historical notes. Nice and short and sweet and fun. Next week, we'll be watching Ricky Has Labor Pains. And this week, next week will be the first week that we're like back on our regular schedule. So Ricky Has Labor Pains will come out on Thursday. So here's the log line for that. When Lucy's pregnancy cravings and preoccupation with a baby shower leave Ricky feeling overwhelmed, he begins to develop psychosomatic pregnancy symptoms of his own. Uh, so join me then. That's it. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen. If you enjoyed this, please rate, review on Apple Podcasts, share with a friend. You can reach out to me however you'd like. Yada, yada, yada. You're going to hear it in a minute. Roll the outro. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to The Ricardo Project. It means more to me than you know. If you'd like to get in touch with me for any reason whatsoever, I would love to hear from you. You can reach me at thericardoproject at gmail.com or on Instagram at thericardoproject. Again, if you enjoyed this episode, please consider rating and reviewing this podcast and telling a friend about it. Have a wonderful weekend and we'll be back on Thursday. <laughs>